Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, Professor of Health Psychology and a Mental Health Researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems. And we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. This week we have dancers AJ and Curtis Pritchard, actress Linda Lasardi, and MQ ambassador and returning Open Mind guest Gemma Stiles. In this episode we discuss what questions we would like mental health research to answer, the importance of finding suitable treatment, and finding strength through diagnosis. So welcome to this special recording of the MQ Open Mind podcast. We're recording this at Deutsche Bank, and we're absolutely delighted to be here today. We've got a fantastic set of special guests. We've got AJ and Curtis Pritchard. We've got Linda Lasardi and friend of the show, uh, Gemma Stiles. So as you all know, MQ Mental Health Research is focused on learning more about how different conditions manifest, how we can better develop treatments to support those who are struggling with mental health problems, and also, crucially, trying to prevent mental health or mental illness developing in the first place. So I've really got a question for each one of you to start us to the ball rolling, and then we'll hopefully open it up, a bit of your story here, a bit of each of your stories, and then we'll get some questions from the audience. So the format is in two halves. So let's maybe just kick off then. Um, AJ, do you want to tell us a bit about, obviously we've got yourself and Curtis, your brother here. So thinking about mental health research, right? so that's what we do at NQ, can you tell us something about what you would hope us to sort of focus on? What would the big question you would like us to address in mental health research? I think the thing is, for me personally, I feel like I should say this before I kind of, myself and Curtis, we're brothers. We've been brought up exactly the same in every aspect of life, but we are two completely different people. We are two individuals. I'm very OCD. I like everything done one, two, three, very, very ordered. And Curtis is very creative and, <laughs> and a bit chaotic sometimes. Cheers, AJ. <laughs> but the point of what I'm trying to explain is that I always feel that when you deal with a trauma or you feel like you're dealing with a situation and you feel down, it's very different for different people. It may be because a, a trauma's happened or an accident's happened, or it may just feel like you need help and you're asking for help. We always kind of get hit with the exact same thing. It's like one, one thing hits all, one, one, one sentence helps everybody. Whereas in reality, everybody's an individual person. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about understanding and putting the time into actually what works for me doesn't work for Curtis and vice versa. And it's going to be the same for everybody out there. So why, why do we put so much emphasis on like, this is the way it has to be to get better. If anything, if we're always kind of going on a linear format, like we're all going to hit, be hit with the same thing. Whereas in reality, we're all going to have ups and downs and it's finding out each kind of case study. Curtis likes to meditate. I don't like to meditate. I like to go to the gym. I like to have a strict routine. The routine allows me to have clarity in my life. So therefore I have, that clarity in my brain and I can, I can, I can talk, I can make sense. Mm -hmm. To sort of create like an algorithm where they can answer certain yeah, questions or I, something and then that can maybe give them something different than them, different than them, different Understanding them. what makes people tick, <clears throat> making sure that they know who they are, they know what that makes them happy, they know that safe space, but also importantly, knowing what doesn't work for them. Because I feel we stay away from that. We shy away from, this doesn't work for me. Yeah. I don't like this. It sounds so negative, but if anything, if you know what you don't like, if you know what's not your personality, 
then you can kind of put that aside and focus on the positives. No, I think they're really important points. And what you highlight really, really, really well there is that struggle we often have in mental health research and treatment is between personalized approaches yeah. and then this sort of one size fits all approach. And you're right, you often we look at mental health treatment, often there's, oh, here's cognitive behavior therapy or yeah. mindfulness-based therapy or whatever it may be. And the key point is exactly that, is that no treatment will work for everyone. Yeah. And and the, actually really timely you mentioned, well, I think Curtis is going to say more about his meditation or mindfulness because there's a new study come out a few weeks ago from uh, from the UK, which shows that mindfulness, for example, doesn't work with school kids. Yeah. And so there's this plan to try and do mindfulness in schools. But it's that idea that some people like the quietness in their in their heads and others don't. Because I also struggle with, I've tried meditation, but it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's not everyone. Really yeah. yeah. So, Curtis, over to you then. We've obviously, AJ has tried to steal your thunder there. <laughs> and, uh, so tell us a bit about then. So you're, you're a big fan of, of meditation then. Yeah, so something I, I love to do. And if I ever feel myself um, in any situation starting to overthink things, starting to let too many thoughts into my head and that I can't make a decision or it's making me procrastinate really and then not be able to progress in in my work life or any any part of life I just try and sit down meditate for five ten minutes however long it takes just to settle my brain down calm me down and it's one of the best things I've ever learned to be able to focus myself and just get back into that action of right we can move forward continue now and not overthink things I struggle to sleep as well and I've always really I never wanted to take any tablets this is one of my big key things. And this is what I think um, research into mental health, like you were saying, mindfulness doesn't so much work in schools and stuff. I think at that age, they need to have fun, outside freedom, play around and learn through that. But I do think as you get into your teenage years, a bit of mindfulness could be perhaps beneficial for people in their teenage years, because that's when they start to, they are getting older and growing up. And I think that's when they should learn to be able to control their brain control their thoughts a little bit more so trying to stay away from medication if possible and can we use our brain our body on ourselves more efficiently to actually cure mental health in certain situations that's what i would really like to look into more because yeah. i feel like our, our body and our brain is more powerful than we realize if we really actually take the time to look at ourselves and work on ourselves we are more powerful than we realize. Just be kind to ourselves. Yeah. Like most people aren't kind to themselves. Listen like to what your you body wants. You feel good today or feel bad today. Mm-hmm. Like actually, like take note of that. And not listen just to what your body wants. If you're avoid tired, it. sleep. Yeah, when you're hungry, sleep is yeah. so important. So yeah. important, but um, because obviously anything that interrupts with our sleep is per is bad for physical mm-hmm. health and yeah. also bad for mental health. I suppose I would challenge you a bit. I pushed back a bit though. Yeah, you're saying about and so for me it's. Yet teenage years are so difficult, of course, and we know that mental health problems are rare, rare before puberty. Puberty kicks in, and that's when you start to see this, yeah. this marked increase in mental health problems. So, of course, it's a time, it's a time to intervene and support people. But I suppose there's lots of evidence out there that yet yeah, psychological treatments and talking therapies work for some others. Medication is important to help get the body in some sort of um, state or that it's it's open to um it's open to talking therapies or the support and so on. So I think for me it's all about these personalized approaches. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting. So um so that both of you have similar ideas in terms of the research. Because yeah. a great one that I was actually using was Wim Hof as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah, of the yeah. best meditations I'd ever done because mm-hmm. I originally started 
when and I was just focused on my breathing. And then I thought, I want to try something different, expand my, my brain and everything. And Wim Hof is a great one as well. Yeah, so, not yeah, just nice. thrown it out there if anyone wants to try it. I've tried it. I've tried it. in the ice pool and all that. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it really does and free your really, mind. And, and honestly, that breathing really, yeah. really works. Because it over oxygenates your body, so therefore it really just makes you feel. But I don't understand why you don't get goosebumps and you're not cold. But hold on, hold on. For those who don't know about the Wim Hof breathing, what is it? So basically, Wim Hof breathing is a, a method to over-oxygenate your body and it climatizes yourself to the climate outside. So whether you're in freezing water, it will warm your body temperature up to its natural state. Whether you're in the Sahara Desert, it'll cool it down to its natural mm -hmm. state. And it might it likes to keep your body plateau. So therefore, your body doesn't feel these stressed situations yeah, yeah, yeah. and it can control you in stressful situations then. And you can be in control of your body, not it in control that of you. That was what on SAS, like what we're doing right now with the high pressure of the TV show, like mm -hmm. the breathing that was the one thing that allowed me to get through each step because you're hit with a problem and it's take the breath, step back, yeah. make yeah. it simpler in front of you and solve the problem. Without that breathing, you just you uh, just go to and, and supposedly if done properly and for a long enough period, your body can create a natural DMT through its brain and through its cells. And that is what can be released. DMT, DMT. Is I believe it's that thing. Is it? What's it? Was it that deep? I, I don't know no, the okay, exact yeah, meaning of it. So yeah, and, I, and I'm not a medical person, yeah, no. so I'm not <laughs> gonna go down. I that think route. that's a chemical rather than an acronym. Yeah, <laughs> it is a chemical. Yeah. Okay. DMT. We'll, we'll, we'll work it out afterwards. Yeah. Google it now, Chris. Quick. Yeah, because, <laughs> because there is a drug which people take, but your body naturally produces. Ah, okay, right, 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 right. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Well, just on the the Wim Hof stuff and the um the cold water, and I mean the wild swimming. Because again, this week there's some evidence coming out that that the cold water swimming or wild swimming has beneficial effects both for physical. Yeah, and mental health. So physically, definitely. And, and I've done it. And I, I did three months of it constantly, cold showers. I took out any hot water from yeah, my life, yeah. and it focused me like I'd never been focused before. Yeah. I did do it to extremes, so then I plateaued and went to normal life and doing it. But I did it every morning without fail, really? and every evening, constantly for three months. For it, three months, it was. Wow. It truly was life changing. Linda, Gemma, have any of you done the cold water thing? I've been cold water swimming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I've I've definitely not done it for three months in a row and felt my life changed. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, you feel great afterwards. I'll give you that. But I have woken up sort of feeling quite depressed, and then when I've done the cold yeah. water swimming, it just you just feel energized mm -hmm. and you feel like a new day starts, and you feel all the blood rushing to the surface mm -hmm. when you get out, and it does make you feel better. It's great for your skin as well. Yeah. Apparently, it makes you look younger. I mean, everyone thought I was older than AJ, so it didn't work too well. Too <laughs> yeah. cold for you. Those 15 months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hard. So then moving on then, Linda, to yourself. So th same question for you, thinking about mental health research and what sort of key questions you think. If I could make MQ research fund a particular piece of work, what would it be? Well, I think it's the work that you work on with the, with the suicide, really. Um, I mean, uh, went to the Caroline Flack concert mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and more and more celebrities are feeling so much under pressure that they're committing suicide and i think you know it really needs to be looked into and people have just got to talk to each other more mm -hmm. i feel and i mean yeah. the way that the health system is at the moment it, you, you said to me you should go and talk to doctor that's not that easy anymore no 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 you know no. you can't and they haven't got time to listen to you they're so busy so you know 
if you've got a, a support of family and friends around you, then I think to speak is really a way to help your mental health. Mm -hmm. Talk about your problems, get them out there, discuss them with people, and that you know your friends can help you. Um, but I just I really feel that that you know so many young people are committing suicide more and more every year that the research you're doing is just so valuable. Yeah, I mean it's such an important topic, and obviously something I feel very passionately about. I've been working in this area for 27, 28 years on suicide. And it is, I mean, the good, I suppose, and the positive news has been we are, there has been a sort of step change in focus in, in mental health and hopefully suicide prevention. But the reality is 703,000 people die by suicide each year across the globe. And you mentioned young people. And the sad reality is it's before the pandemic, young people's mental health has been, was deteriorated. And, um, and now... So thankfully, during COVID, suicide rates didn't go up. But my fear now is we're recording this in the really uncertain times with economic crisis, inflationary crisis, yeah. energy crisis, <clears throat> lots of crises. And that's a big fear for me is we need to protect our young people, especially as they've gone through COVID. And a lot of the school age kids and university kids or college kids or whoever it may be. And through a really difficult time. Well, having had COVID badly yeah. myself, I know that it has affected my, my brain health. Um, you know, I don't sleep as well, I get anxious, um, you know, it's affected my family, my daughter's had to have sort of therapy because mm -hmm. of nearly losing me, she's like had panic attacks and things, so there's a lot of mental health around me at the moment, and I feel, you know, that COVID has really added to it majorly. Well, it has, we, one of the studies we did actually, we've been monitoring the mental health of the UK population. And a, a sample, and exactly, although thankfully the suicide rates haven't increased or didn't increase, but people's mental health, was, I mean, especially young people, people who pre existing mental health problems, people who've experienced COVID, uh, and, and, and really women, three or four groups of people who have been really uh, adversely affected. So we have to be social vigilant. So, no, so thanks for, for highlighting that, Linda. And the other bit I suppose to say is every one of us has our own experience or story yeah. being affected by suicide. And some of the data out there are just horrendous. So we, we now reckon that for every person who dies by suicide, there's upwards maybe of 135 people may have known that person, so potentially affected. So yeah. it's so important that we, we talk about talk about suicide and mental health more broadly. So yeah, so thank you for that, for that Linda. And so you're obviously, we talked obviously about your experience of COVID and, and the mental health consequences of that. So how are, you, how are you doing now? I'm all right, I'm getting there. I mean, I think it was, you know, the fact that I nearly lost my life and then coming home, it was hard for me to get back into normal life again. Um, but I'm getting there and um, no, I'm, I'm healthily, much more healthy now. I've still got scar tissue on my lungs and I don't breathe mm -hmm. as much as, as well as I used to and I'm not as fit as I was, but um, you know, at least I'm still here. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. A terrifying time. It was, it, not just for me, because actually it was probably less terrifying for me because I was the one in the hospital bed feeling, you know, out of it most of the time. But for my family and, you know, um, to see my husband was in as well, to see both of us cast off in an ambulance, not knowing if we'd come back, it was... Uh, I didn't raise both of you. Yeah. We're hospitalised. Yeah, he, he was in, he wasn't quite, he was... He'd got over the worst when he was taken in, but I was, I went dipped quite fast, and and I didn't really fit any of the criteria, you know, um. But it was such early days when there was no PPE and mm. um, people were saying the symptoms, and I didn't have most of those symptoms. I had different symptoms, and um, yeah. So it was very, it was frightening. 
Very mm. frightening. But yeah. yeah, you know, we're fine now. <laughs> yeah, but I think You've it's a, a smile on your face and you look great. Yeah. Right now, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. It's, I mean, I think it's a, it's a stark reminder of, mm. yes, we might be through the pandemic, hopefully. Hopefully we're through the pandemic, but we'll be living in some shape or form with the consequences of it in the years to come. But it's just anything which introduces further inequality. I think that's what COVID more generally has done is that all the inequalities which were there before the pandemic have just got worse. Mm. And that's a bit now we, we need to be so, so vigilant mm. about. So, <clears throat> so thanks for that, Linda. We'll move on now to our friend of the show, Gemma, has been on the podcast before and is a, a delight as always to have you here. Gemma, so same question to you, thinking about um, priorities, because we probably asked you this question the last time, so um, in the Maybe podcast. I can't remember what I said, I wonder if you can read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, time's moved on, it was a while ago. So same question, in terms of what, what do you think we should be prioritising, what should we be funding in mental health research? I mean, personally, I would love to see more kind of joining the dots between different mm -hmm. conditions, and I think that probably comes from more of my personal experience. So I in terms of mental health history, I've got a very long history of um, depression and anxiety and those kind of like, which are commonly related conditions. Um, but something that's come up more recently, I was diagnosed with ADHD earlier this year, which has been really eye-opening just in terms of how it links very mm -hmm. commonly to like comorbid conditions of depression and anxiety. And it's kind of, there's a bit of, you know, a cause and effect thing, but I would love to see more research about but I think even in terms of kind of what AJ was saying before about how everyone is very different we're all individual people but even in saying that as you were saying the inequalities that there are that exist there are vast differences between you as people and you are both white men if you don't mind me saying so the further away you get from being a white man I mean as a woman if you all of the different yeah. kinds of inequalities that we face the less that the data that we have serves you so far so it took me until I was in my 30s to be diagnosed with ADHD because the criteria that we have focus on young boys generally so it's harder to tick a box and immediately see what fits in and what doesn't mm. and then that makes it even harder to see what conditions could link to each other so I would really like to see yeah a more kind of looking further into broadening the data that we have and then also seeing how it fits together. Yeah, I think that's really important about broader messages there, Gemma, because obviously in the research field, we talk about this idea of, of looking at trans-diagnostic approaches mm -hmm. and recognising that although these diagnoses like ADHD or depression or anxiety, we sort of think of them as these categories or these boxes, because that's the way they've been developed. But in reality, they're not boxes. There's obviously this manual that um, was developed many years ago, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Diagnosis of These Sorts of Mental Health Problems, that forces things into these boxes or these categories. But in reality, what you've just described there is often there's overlap, there's symptoms which cro cross all of these different mental health problems. So mm. uh, the relationship between ADHD and depression and anxiety. I mean, that's it's not surprising that they're going to be related. And I think that yeah. you may raise a really important point about, about a woman being diagnosed later in life. There's a couple of things is, um, one is that how ADHD or symptoms of ADHD manifest in girls versus boys is very, very different. And often, as you will know, that there's underdiagnosis, or some people argue there's an underdiagnosis of ADHD in girls. 
But then the other bit is to get a diagnosis for ADHD as an adult can take some time. Mm-hmm. I think you had experienced that as well. It took some time to get to, to, to actually get the diagnosis, to get the treatment, to get the support, and that's really challenging. And is that just because of lack of staff? La- that's part of the, part of it is lack of lack of staff out there, and um and there's there's long waiting lists. There's just long yeah. waiting lists for because I don't. I mean, it's an interesting question. Is it that people don't see it as as important as some other diagnosis. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, yeah. But um, there's ADHD. I've had personal experiences of ADHD in, in, in the family, and and we experience a similar similar sorts of issues. So it's a real, really important. And where topic. would you get that diagnosed from a doctor or from a therapist or from? It has to be from a psychiatrist. But I think that's kind of maybe partly where the issue is, and where I would like to kind of on a health in general basis see things linked more and I'm not sure how you would do that because I mean ADHD isn't a mental health condition that's the thing so we're obviously talking about mental health today that isn't a mental health condition but it's so so linked when you look at any information that we've got but even things that seem completely random that I've then when I've looked up I mean I'd like to read information about things when I find out I've got something so I've read then a lot about ADHD and it's really things that would seem so inconsequential like having very dry eyes mm-hmm. and having a b12 deficiency i think i was kind of then looking through this research and ticking loads of boxes for things that i never would have thought had anything to do with any kind of like neuro neurodiverse condition or mental health condition or anything mm-hmm. but as soon as you've kind of got the terminology and you know what you're looking for there is research there that connects so many different things so i think I mean, yeah, I'm not the person who could tell you where we would even start to try and do that. But yeah, trying to gather from different areas of health and mental health and all of the different research that there is to try and make it work for people. Yeah, but I think so. I would say on reflecting over the last 20 odd years working in mental health, there has been progress in terms of trying to break down this artificial physical health and mental health barrier. And we're actually at MQ leading this project called Gone Too Soon, which is trying to look at early mortality from that interface of, of comorbidities, as mm-hmm. you described them, Gemma, and obviously things like suicide, because they recognize this is just arbitrary. We're all, we're, we're one being, we're one person, our mind and body are intimately linked. And of course, with ADHD, the other issues, um, although there are common factors, how it presents itself is very different in different people. And obviously there's the inattention component, there's the, you told me the dry eyes, or whatever, there's all these other physical symptoms, mm-hmm. as well as then the impulsivity and hyperactive side of things. So it's really complex, but I think we are making progress. So, but I think, and, and something NQ has been trying to push forward is this recognition of A, taking this trans-diagnostic approach here across all mental health problems and physical health problems, trying to understand those. But then it's just then going, how do we get people the help that they need? Because I think we'll all have experienced it. Mm. If any of us have tried to get mental health or physical health support, there are still our waiting lists and that's I think like for me it's an interesting question to ask you is like do you feel better for knowing that now yeah for helping other things and I think that's the kind of the forgetful thing like we put all this time and effort into it but actually now you know that you can help yourself and solve so many problems so much time and effort and, and wasted energy in the rest of your life moving forward and I feel like people forget that like the reason why we put the time in now is then you help somebody that they can go off and do their thing now yeah. everybody's yeah, like oh we'll, just, we'll, leave it, we'll leave it we'll leave it leave it whereas actually no the sooner we solve it the sooner we're helping everybody in how many people are affected in your life that now know that this about you yeah. you helping other people yeah there's definitely because i've got adhd as well 
I feel like that lead that's always led me to build my anxiety because mm-hmm. it sounds like a really stupid example, but like I'm really bad with messaging. So like somebody will send me a message and just like just the lack of focus, I won't get to it. Mm-hmm. And then the anxiety builds that that person mm-hmm. may that oh why is he why is he not messaging or oh, he's a bad person he's a bad guy that starts leading to the depression type of thing. But understanding that now it's ADHD makes like explain so much but I can go through like my history and go oh okay that's why I did that that's why this and that yeah so it, it's it, the clarity the you. clarity yeah. I think unlocks and something inside that your you. friends know now so yeah. they accept that you don't message straight back yeah so uh, or, or maybe they don't yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's more that yeah. do you find it you, now that like you know that do you find it easier to message back and do you find it easier to actually do the thing like because you're aware of it now or I've it's more than just the messages. Just, just, no, no, yeah, I, know, I, know, I, know, I know exactly. Yeah. But um, I was very intrigued only because I, yeah. I actually am the same as that. Yeah. messaging, I tend not to message people back, and then I actually have the same thoughts in my head. Yeah. I'm like, God, am I a bad person? I should have messaged back. Why haven't I messaged back? And, and all different things. Are they going to think this? And yada, yada, yada. I'm so thinking about I'm, all the people I have to message right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was just and AJ said, yeah. I always message people back. I message everybody yeah. back within a second. I get yeah. paranoid if I don't. And I have to do it for Curtis as well. We've heard how type A you are today. That's what <laughs> yeah. I, I think with that is um, it just I, I feel I, I less pressure on myself. Yeah. I feel, I, I, I feel like kind to yourself. Yeah. Because if someone had a physical issue like mobility, you wouldn't expect them to to run a marathon or something like yeah. that. Um, so you you know that type of thing where I, I that, feel yeah. a little bit easier on myself. It's like. It's just part and parcel of, of what it is. But, yes. but, but that's the same message that others have said. And, and you, uh, one of Curtis or AJ said it, that central importance of self-compassion. Yeah. I think we, we're just still not good enough at doing that. And, yeah. But I think that in the context of having a, an ADHD label, it gives you a knowledge and understanding going, actually, it's okay. It's understandable yeah. that I don't message back or, or whatever the thing is. And that's, that hopefully will help with the self-compassion. But also in communicating to those around you. Sorry, Linda, you're no, trying to. I was going to say that there mm. must be so many people out there that aren't diagnosed that mm. don't realise that they've got yeah. anything, you know, going wrong with them. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's nice that podcasts like this making people aware a little bit more that they can go and get diagnosed or helped because they're just having a frustrating life, you know, yeah. trying to navigate with this, you know, debilitating. Mental issue. I think it's the same with lots of conditions as well, because mm. I mean, it's quite not easy, but I say it's easier to talk about depression and anxiety that I have history of, for example, because those are more, let's say, mainstream kind of talked about now. But there are a lot of other conditions, like we mentioned, kind of like psychosis earlier, or OCD, mm-hmm. or BPD, or like there's lots of other conditions that we don't really talk about very much. They're less understood. So for people who are living with these conditions, in a similar way to maybe you and I would have had experience not knowing that we had ADHD. It's the kind of, it's the, why am I like this? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. Why do I find mm-hmm. this really difficult? So I think having a diagnosis of something, as you said, can be mm-hmm. helpful just purely in itself because it takes away a level of that sort of self-blame that you've mm-hmm. got. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. When we think about, we're sitting here now all talking about mental health, but most of our conversations, as you just said, are around things that are we find much more comfortable to talk about, like depression and anxiety. Even suicide, we've got more comfortable talking about that. But psychosis, borderline personality disorder, uh, 
bipolar disorder. I think we talk about those less. So, so it's so still that that journey of destigmatization, journey of tackling the myths around mental health, and and in my case, what we do in suicide, try to tackle all those myths out there. But that's why these conversations are so so important. So, thanks everybody for the, that's this part of our sort of initial questions. But I'm moving on to Craig. Okay, so uh, first question. Mr. Gemma, what do you think is the impact of social media on mental health? Massively wide-ranging. I feel like I end up talking about this a lot. I think there is a lot said about the negative impacts of social media on mental health, which I think can be very true. And there are a lot of ways that people end up comparing themselves to other people. And I think that can really have an impact on self-esteem and that leads into a lot of things. I do think, however, that the amount of community and kind of outreach that you can do with social media does mean I would probably count it as a net kind of positive in even as we were just saying you know the amount that people are willing to talk about depression and anxiety and suicide even as you said we weren't having those conversations even not that long ago and I think social media has been probably the main way that those conversations have progressed and I mean even thinking about so I did an episode of my podcast with Rory um, a few months ago and we talked about suicide prevention for example and that like I had a message from someone that they would have had no idea what to do but some one of their close friends or family members confided in them that they were having suicidal thoughts and they sent a message to us kind of saying I would have had no idea what to do if I hadn't heard you talking about this and that's just an example of one person mm -hmm. but there are so many people out there now talking about mental health on social media and it all sort of tree branches off and they're all reaching different people. And even if you don't kind of get a message that says, oh, this is actually how that helped me in that way, it is helping people, even if you can't see it. And the way that we talk about depression now and that's filtered through and it's a lot easier, I would say, as someone who talks about it a lot, it's a lot easier to talk about now than it would have been a few years ago. If we keep pushing that forwards and broadening it out to other conditions, talking about those more on social media, making sure that other people get the same amount of airtime that they need that we've kind of had for a while with anxiety, for example, then hopefully we can keep pushing that forwards. And that's how you get not only awareness of conditions, but a bit more understanding of how, because that's, that's something that I do hear as well. It's like, we've got a lot of awareness of mental health, mental illnesses now. But when actual consequences crop up for people in their day-to-day -day lives and it's disruptive and it's not pleasant and you've got doctor's appointments to go to and it actually really does impact the work and the socialising and your family life, it's those, it's the impacts rather than just being aware of it that I think we still have got some way to improving how we mm -hmm. how we respond to those. Yeah. I think one second just on, on Gemma's, you did a brilliant thing though for World Suicide Prevention Day. So you got, because part of it, touches on the last thing you said about there's one thing raising awareness right but what you did was Gemma did this great thing on Instagram about getting people to submit stories of hope or messages of hope yeah that's, so that's a lovely thing then to do because then because that's part of what we think about helping people it's helping people through those dark days and those messages of hope that people sent to Gemma were just brilliant I mean and they weren't, they weren't some of them really really simple things and that's through having research like what mental what MQ does and what you mm -hmm. do through all of your work in suicide and that's the research research that has shown that hearing those messages from people who've been in the same situation and have recovered there's data and kind of the evidence that shows that that really does help people and mm -hmm. does prevent 
cases of suicide. So having that kind of data and then it gives us actions to do rather than moving on from the talking, having actions to take because we've got the information. It all kind of snowballs into one and then you can link in the social media, use all that information <laughs> and I'll end my very long sentence. <laughs> uh, Curtis, yes. um, do you have any coping mechanisms or strategies for when you're in a stressful situation? I know you uh, spoke yes. about meditation. Yeah, it's one of yeah. that is one of the biggest things. Um, and I do something called power stances as well, actually, to be fair. So if I'm ever going to go into a, a big speech, if I've got a big group of people in front of me, or if I'm going into anywhere where I need to feel confident and powerful, I do a couple of different things with power stances. And they're simple things. I'll stand up and I'll, I'll, I'll do one for you. So literally it is, stand with your legs apart. Days, wasn't it? Yeah, we, and we, we've been teaching this to uni students. So this is one power stance, exactly like this. Just stand like that for a little bit. Shoulders back, chin up. And this makes you feel confident and powerful. And this is one of the biggest problems with today, at the age and everything that we do. We're all on phones all the time and we're like this. Mm -hmm. This is a negative power stance. So naturally our body is in a stress position, a depressed position. So um, this is why I always like to do these power stances before doing anything. It's a great way to just open yourself up, drop everything back. And this is another one, just this position. Stay like that for a minute and you'll just feel a little bit more open and ready to accomplish and do whatever you want. So that's one of my mechanisms. And the other is meditation. Clears my brain, brings all of my thoughts together and my emotions together. So therefore I can just pick out my thoughts, pick out my emotions, however I need them to be. So it, it makes me control myself in a way. The when best. you say meditation, how, do, how does one meditate? So I've done a couple of different things to be fair. How I first started meditating was I never did any guided stuff or anything. I literally lay on my bed and I just focused on my breathing. And I closed my eyes and I looked at, so you know when you close your eyes, it's just a darkness in front of your eyes. I tried to focus on that darkness. So not saying dark as in like horrible and grungy things, it was just black behind your eyes. So I just focused my mind on that. Breathed in through my nose as long as I could, just kept breathing in. And I would just breathe out as long as I possibly could, just focusing on that. Whenever my mind wondered, I would just bring it back to right behind my eyes to that darkness. And it just focused my mind and it stopped it from overthinking or being worried about anything. It just brings you back down and then you can accomplish it and go for whatever you want to. Okay, that's my best mechanism. Yeah, but power stances, I, great try, things. I'm always like, go off it takes five yeah. minutes. Yeah. And don't worry if your mind does. Don't, don't worry if it wanders off and stuff. You can hone it back in, bring it back in. It'll take five to 10 minutes before you it actually- It took you a while to actually get into it. Yeah, it took me a long time. And build it up, start by doing five minutes, then do six minutes, seven minutes. Don't just go for a 20 minute meditation because you'll never do it again. Yeah, and, don't, and so the key thing about it is it takes practice. Yeah. And don't get annoyed with yourself if your mind wants. Yeah. That's that's perfectly human. Oh no, I should have begun then. Yeah, yeah, just, just go out fine and bring it back. Then you have to do 21 days or something before it becomes like a 28 routine. days. Is that, 28 is, that, days. is that the yeah. general thing? And then, then whatever if you, you can't do it up to that, then to break a habit or change yeah. a habit, 28 days is the rough estimate time to. So it's hope with my chocolate eating at night. Then. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, right. I wouldn't change up the world. Big changes if you're going to do something. Little increments is the best way to achieve anything. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, meditation, power stances, great things. With the power stances, actually, um, I do that before every job interview. Yeah. Yeah, I go to the bathroom, stand there like Superman. Yeah. Do a couple of you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. deep breaths and walk in. And, and, works, and you so put your hands right. in the air. Like anything that opens you up big, proud and strong, your body naturally feels that. And it will release positive endorphins and all of this and that. Anything small, 
you're in a negative position, a stress position. And I think this is what happens to a lot of young people these days because we are Trapped. on our phones so much mm. without even realising it, we're putting ourselves in a negative position. So we need to stop that. Power stances in schools, that's what people need to do. <laughs> For job interviews, anything. Yeah. Hold well, on, Gemma was going to jump in there, right, Gemma? Or are you doing oh, a power stance? No, that was just, I can't hear anything about power stances without thinking about Grey's Anatomy. If anyone watches Grey's Anatomy, mm -hmm. there's, there's a character in that and she does her before, before surgery. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like the top billionaires, top big business people, anything before they go into big speeches, there's a lot of TED Talks on it. I have a little YouTube on them and it, they really do help them. Have you got any other power stances? Yeah, so I, I'll give you a couple. So literally, hands on the hips is one. Yeah. Hands behind the head, and this one's great for your posture. What I like to do on this one is push my head Standing back into up, my yeah. arms. You don't have to stand up, but I like to stand up. Or simply hands behind your back, anything like this, and hands in the air. These are all power stances. You may look silly, but I guarantee it will help them it'll make you feel better. So yeah, give it a go. For the, obviously, for those of you who are listening to this. Um, oh, yes. Oh, I, I it's not video. Uh, Curtis, Curtis probably hit some YouTube video of yeah. him doing it. I will, you know what? <laughs> on my Instagram, I'm going to put some power stances. There we go. Well, you said it, now you have to do it. I'll put it in there. Think a superhero, Batman or Superman yeah. or something standing up. Hands on the hips, yeah. wide base. That's what it is. Hands on the hips, wide base, shoulders back and chin up. Opening that chest. Yeah. Linda. Uh, have you noticed any changing attitudes in the entertainment industry regarding mental health? Yeah, I think it's much more accepted now. I think um, years ago, if there was any kind of inkling that someone had a bit of mental health problems, they wouldn't be used on a job. Whereas now, you know, probably, I don't know if they do it on Strictly or on SS, they've probably got a, um, some sort of mental health officer to talk You'd to. You'd have to do a, every TV show now, yeah, you have to do a side side. And, and if, if you don't have past the psych eval, you... Yeah. Not doing the show. So I think that people are putting in, in place things to help people. I think, as I say, it's much more accepted. You know, when you talk about it, you, you're not jeopardising yourself getting the job. Um, so I think we are going in the right direction in the entertainment industry. I think the aftercare is something also. It's not just that that pre. I'm going to do the TV show. Uh, you do the TV show, we'll forget about you. It's mm. it's the aftercare that's improved. I think the most, and unfortunately. Fortunately, due to suicide on shows like Love Island, that aftercare has been extended and it continues for fundamentally. If you rest need to talk to somebody for the rest of your yeah. life, yeah. we are very it's fortunate in that way. But I do think yeah. that the programs that they are putting together are particularly healthy for mental health. I think it's the, the scenario of the way that it can be exacerbated by social media. It, it, it can, something so small can become something so big. Yeah. Um, I go on the positive side as well. There's so many positives about social media and I wouldn't want to just talk about the negatives, but sometimes the negatives outweigh the positives, especially when it's a personal thing. And just, they're putting celebrities in scenarios that are really uncomfortable mentally. Yeah, and I'd say any TV and things like that is a very high stress situation because it is different than the real world. Even, for example, reality TV, they say it's reality. It's not. It's TV. So anybody that is listening that is fancying going that way, just remember it isn't real life and it's different. So go in open-minded. Yeah. and therefore, Your friends and family know who you truly are. Yeah. yeah. Which is a curious thing, uh, uh, AJ, you said that you do the psych psychological assessment beforehand. Yeah. And if you don't pass it, you don't get in. I don't know if I like the sound of that. Because it should be, it should be in my mind, that actually they, you do a psych assessment to recognise that we all have vulnerabilities, right? And we'll support you. So it's, it's literally you wouldn't get on. I think pass. it's a very grey area. If they feel that 
for that TV program, perhaps a person isn't best suited for it, okay, yeah. then they would say no. Okay, I don't yeah. think there is a you pass or you yeah. fail. Yeah, because that was then. Yeah, no, I think it's just they don't yeah. think that you've you perhaps you are. Yeah. You're going to it's a safety scenario, isn't it? You wouldn't want to be put in someone in a position that would be a detriment to their life or whatever the show is. I don't know. Strictly would be a different psychopath doing a show like SAS Who Dares Wins, yeah. and you're putting yourself under different pressures. And I think most of the time, most people that go for these shows understand what the show is that is in front of them now mm -hmm. it's not it's not hidden it's it's talked about and i think that's the positive side so yeah, yeah. people know that they can ask for help in advance and i think that's something that's the most positive thing it's not something that like oh, i'm not going to talk about it mm -hmm. it's like well you you have to talk about it yeah because because obviously if, if the message is if i say yeah. x i won't get on well people just will go i won't say x i'll just yeah, say yeah, something yeah. what i think will fake the test and or say, well, i'm not taking my love yeah, yeah. You're, oh, not, yeah. you're not doing the show then, are you? But it's great to see the, the, the longer-term yeah. self-care, yeah, yeah. and, and, that, and that's really, really important. What does the aftercare look like? The aftercare is, is what you personally need as a person. Some people will need to talk to somebody, maybe after a show, to for that decompression zone. So we've just done SAS, and uh, we filmed this last year, but simple things that were put into place that you may not think of. We did the show, and straight away we came off the show, we had to have 36 hours of decompression, and that was... Your phone's back in your hand again. You're back in a normal hotel room. You have to allow your body to relax before we'd even get on a flight to come home. Things that you wouldn't even think of. And then obviously, do you need to talk to somebody? Like, do you not need to? And just the phone calls, like, it's like, oh, I'm never going to hear from them again. Well, actually, you'd get a phone call one or two weeks later being like, hi, how are you? I literally had the producer and call me the other day. Before and this was a year ago. Yeah. And she was like, so on the episode, we're going to have this, just so you know, are you happy with this? Um, preparing you for what's coming out. And, and knowing that you've got that support there to turn to if you do feel like you need it, it's 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 so positive. It's I, so warm. Yeah, I did Love Island so four years ago. It must have been now. I could still, if I wanted it, have aftercare up till now. Yeah, I could have, and I could have it every single day if I wanted. And they would cover the costs. They would do it all. And so, did you mentally cope with the attention having sort of not been very well known and then coming out? And truthfully, I loved it. If you want the honest truth, um, I, I like attention. I'm a, I, I'm a performer. I like to be on stage. I love an audience in front of me. So I, I do love all of that aspect. Um, but like when I was in there, I um, was going through, we had a big breakup when it was quite a vital point of the show. Um, so I went and spoke to a therapist in there, which was 24-7 we could go. So that's when I went and started. During, during the show? During oh, the show. Okay. So all of the shows we do, there is 24-7 care. Yeah, and if you need to talk to somebody, now, you need to talk to somebody, you can do which I don't think it used to be like that. Right, okay. But now it is like that. And then after, you can have it as many times as a week as you want, whenever you want it. I think the hardest thing is with most of these scenarios that we talk about, it's like we talk about the person themselves, but actually the hardest scenario is the family that are around them. So if somebody's pregnant, you go ask the woman, how's, how's it been pregnant? You don't ask the husband that's dealing with the scenario, like, mm -hmm. oh, well, how are you do, doing, actually? And I think that's the hardest thing in all these situations. Like, you were in Love Island. You're fine. You're in TV show you're getting death threats and horrible things said to you. How does the family around mm. you deal with that scenario when they feel it's so personal? It's so like yeah. they're saying about my child or, or my cousin, whoever it may yeah. be. That's sometimes something that's we don't ever think about, the wider circle that one person can affect thousands. That ripple people. effect. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because we're trying to squeeze in our last question. If you, if you sorry. Yeah, more, sorry. No, 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 it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's all great. Uh, one more question for you, AJ. Uh, have you found it difficult dealing with health issues in the public eye? Um, 
it's hard because like you feel like you you do so in TV shows, everything feel open and people feel like they've got a kind of like a hold on your life. Like they should should be able to ask you a question like how do you feel? And then sometimes it's very hard to say, hey, that's a private matter or I don't want to talk about it. For me, it's about being the one thing that I would say is being selfish and selfish in the way that like I like my routine. I like going to the gym. I know what I do and I know what I'm good at, like and being quite selfish with that and keeping that routine and not breaking it. When it comes down to certain things, like, for example, I, uh, the accident that happened with Abby, and unfortunately she got burnt, and dealing with that for my mental health, I became a full-time carer overnight because of the pandemic, like, from making sure she took her 27 tablets a day, all through day and night, like, having to clean her wounds every two hours for months on end, and, like, being thrown into these situations that you can't be prepared for, A, if I was a normal person, but B, being in the public eye. It was very hard. And I think the one thing for me, like Curtis saw me, it got to the point where I couldn't be a hypocrite and say, like, you need help. You need to talk to somebody. And then not be at the point where I was at my lowest, lowest, like I've never thought I'd ever be in my life, not even being able to talk because I was that just stuck in a corner in a room and actually having to talk to somebody. And then actually now talking about it publicly, I know is helping other people that would be in that scenario. So I try and use it as a positive and try and forget about all the negative dark sides. But knowing that I've had them really dark times, it allows me to help other people and kind of find the light, maybe. Mm. It's real yeah. swings around about situation because you get so much positivity and support yeah. from people. And then you do also get the opposite yeah. as well. So it really is swings around. And I, my, my one point is I don't want to judge some. If someone's going to write a bad comment or say something to my face, I don't want to judge them for what they've said because I personally don't know what position they mm. are in their life. And I wouldn't want to say something or do something that would maybe push them over the edge. Yeah. And that's how I deal with this kind of, not disconnect, but that's how I, how I deal with it. That may not be right for other people, but I know that works for me. And, and sometimes it is trying to just sometimes not talk about it at all like, and keep it out. For example, if you want your private life, so let's say relationships, things like that, just don't put it out there. Try not to talk about it. Don't yeah. put it on social media, things like that, really. And that's a way of just trying to keep it as private as you can. Easier said than done. But yeah, a lot easier yeah. said than done. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. No, that, no, really important message. The other thing you slipped in there as well, AJ, was the importance of exercise for you. Because actually exercise didn't come up in, yeah. in the conversation there. And I think it's such an, well, we did in this sort of wild I go wild to the gym thing. every morning. Well, so more fun. for mental yeah. than physical. Yeah. If I don't go to the gym in the morning, mentally I struggle. Yeah. It's, it's a mental thing for me. The importance of it is so, so vital. Okay, we're running out of time here. So I want to try and get, sneak in one last quick question, which is, and I'll give you advance warning, Nobody knows who's going first in this way, <laughs> but it's on. And I actually really make Curtis go first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Curtis is fast at everything. So, um, so thinking, uh, we're all a bit older now. So, yeah. what advice would you give your 16 year old self? What have you learned? Say, hmm. I wish I had known that at age 16. And it's the same question for everybody. So, the three of you, all the three at the time, do you think? So, Save I, his money. I went into um, a competitive life from a young age, 12 years old. Now, um, it made me feel like I was older than I was. So, at 16 years old, you are still 16 years old. You're a kid. Try things. Don't be afraid to say yes and say no to things. Enjoy your life. You can still become the world champion at a sport that you're doing at an older age. 16 isn't the end of your mm -hmm. career or anything. So act your age almost and enjoy your life. I um, thought I was a 30-year-old at 16, put it mildly. And then I thought, oh, if I want to try something new, it's too late to try it now. Yeah. And I do regret that to this day. Yeah. So, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to try a new thing. You're still young. 
But that's it. I mean, it is so difficult thinking back to when I was 16. To he did he thought the world ended yeah. a year or two later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ended, yeah. No, but you genuinely do beyond it. I know. And, and it's, it's so not true. I'm yeah. 26 years old now, and I just. Oh, I, I thought you're older than that because AJ he looks he looks yeah. older. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only 13, I'm yeah. about 16 yet. Yeah. I'm fine. You know, the sun's aged me, we'll say. You know, AJ's dress. So for, for the listener, because there's a competition between who looks younger between AJ and yeah. Curtis. There's no competition. I look younger and I'll take it. Yeah. But I'm older. It's that Botox. Then. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. <laughs> so Curtis, AJ then. So AJ, same question for you. What would um, advice you give your 16-year-old self? I honestly would just say, do everything the same. I, I wouldn't, I I knew who I was very young. At the age of 12, I said, I want to be a professional dancer. I want to do this. I was a very headstrong child and I, w- I wouldn't change anything. Um, no, I'm, I'm quite happy with what I've done where I am now. And I've, I've always been that way. And I think it's kind of trusting and believing in who you are. And that's what I've always done. So I wouldn't change it. Excellent. I, I sort of, I'm a bit dumbstruck by that one. Nobody's ever answered it like that before. But I suppose that what, the message, the positive message is, have more belief in yourself yeah. at yeah, that yeah. age. Trust yourself at that age. People don't. Yeah. People question who they are throughout the whole of their lives. They're like, oh, I don't know what my career is. I don't know what to do. I've, I've always been very, if I like something, I do it. Yeah. If I don't like it, I don't do it. I make a clear decision and I stick with it. And I, I wouldn't change that. Brilliant. Yeah. No, excellent advice. Excellent advice. Linda, and then we'll go, then we'll go for it. Gemma. Well, I think I get my 16-year-old self to come out and work with me now <laughs> because it's far more positive, far more adventurous, much braver, um, just did everything I wanted to do, was having an absolute ball. Um, and I wish I could take some of it that mm-hmm. now and, and, and put it into action. Because um, I made loads and loads of mistakes, but they've all led me to this place where I couldn't be happier. I've got a fantastic husband and family and um, life's good. So um, without those mistakes, I wouldn't have taken that path. So I wouldn't really change myself then. Yeah, but that's good advice as well, which yeah. is we're all, we all have our own journeys and we are the product of those journeys. So it's like having no regrets is really the... No, I had no regrets. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. yeah fantastic like that. So then, finally, then, over to Gemma. Um, I guess I'd say, I think, thinking about it from a mental health perspective, um, I think when I was 16, I kind of didn't understand really how mental health issues can affect anyone so if I was struggling with things I'd be thinking you know well this is just my issue to deal with like I've got a safe home I've got a great family like I'm I've got my health and everything like what have I got to worry about so then yeah sort of beat myself up if I was struggling mentally so I think in terms of and hopefully people who are 16 now have this message a bit more out there but not to kind of blame yourself for things and sort of struggle on your own with things and think that there has to be a giant looming reason a very obvious thing you can point to in your life as to why you might be struggling with something like mental health issues affect well one in four of us as we say from the stats but mm-hmm. can affect anyone you won't always be able to say exactly why or pinpoint it but it doesn't mean that you can't get help for it anyway yeah and was a love that's a lovely way to end because it's a really optimistic note as well yeah. recognizing being realistic about we all are these individual experiences, and, and one of four of us, as you say, Gemma, will experience mental health problems. And it, and it, there's only been that, that importance of connection as well, being connected to others and reaching out and get the support. So get the support, the support early. So 
All that remains for me to do is to thank on behalf of... I want to ask you the, the same question. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. 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 Considering you've done so much research in so many different aspects, like, what would you say to yourself? So my... Um, See, I give you guys, I'm trying to buy time here. Yeah. Buy time here. <laughs> so I think, well, not being as hard on myself, I, so yeah. I'm super perfectionistic. And yeah. um, but we do a lot of work on social perfectionism, which is really concerned about other people's expectations of you and your behavior. So I spend so much of my teens just trying to please other people. And then yeah. you're, it's a, so you're in this cycle. Yeah. This spiral which never ends because you're you're trying to please somebody. Yeah. You let them. You think you're letting them down. So it's all about. So it's about self compassion and just going accept yourself, accept yourself as you are. And then the other bit is, which is sort of vaguely funny but true, it is when I was um, in my teens. So I'd grown into my ears, right? So people who can't see this can't see. <laughs> so so and Linda's looking at me going, your ears look fine. So so basically when I was a teen, I spent my 14, 15, 16 year old trying to fix my hair so my ears didn't look as if they stuck they stuck out. And I was really no, everybody stuck my ears. <laughs> they they stuck really stick out. out. That's yeah. why I'm sorry. But honestly, it was so I would spend so much of my time being concerned about that. And then I grew my hair long in part in part because of that. But then Obviously, the advice I give my 16-year-old self is, it's fine, A, your ears were all, always fine, and then your head seemed to have grown into yeah, them anyway. It's, it's expanded and they've gone around the side. I mean, exactly. that's a big thing, though, when you're that age and stuff, aren't you? Like, this is not what I expected. growing, and I think looks and stuff are a massive key oh, thing, totally. and you need to realize you're going to grow into your looks. Grow, aren't they? Yeah. They'll point out anything that, you know, uh, is dead normal on you. Yeah, because, well, the last series point, and I'll do, we'll bring it to a yeah. close, is, so we know in those adolescent, adolescent years, so your psychological skin is much thinner. Mm. So you're much more likely. So we know because the brain's still developing. We know that your, your emotional processing is, is developing at a different rate than your cognitive processing because your brain's still developing into your mid-20s. So in that period there, we know there's lots of research out there, 14, 15, 16, those bows and arrows of rejection, of shame, they're much more likely to, to damage you. You think they're going to damage you as, a, as an adolescent. So that's the other piece of advice. Any younger person listening to this, yeah. that you're, you're, how you're feeling is just sadly, that's the way our bodies are all built. But things do get better. And there is a really positive future out there. So thanks for that. So AJ, you're in trouble for that one. Now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so big thanks on behalf of, of Craig and I to our, our fantastic guest. So thanks, everybody. And have Thank a great you. day. Thank Here's you. Thanks. MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research, the only organization that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated, and one day prevented. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the podcast. Each review helps us reach a wider audience. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more about MQ and mental health research.